All right, announcements. Hey, when you came and you sat down, hopefully these two pieces of paper were either on your chair or on a chair close to you. Um, real briefly, uh, the first one is a, a baptism card. And so we haven't had a baptism gathering at Ethos in like over a year. So we're having our first one, July 28th. Wait, 28th or 20, 25th? July 25th at five o'clock at the cannery. And so um, if you have decided to follow Jesus in the past year, or you wanna follow Jesus and have questions, or you just wanna be a part of a big celebration, get this on your calendar. July 25th at the cannery at five o'clock, we'll have a baptism gathering. This is a beautiful thing. If you haven't been to one of these, seeing people go, I'm following Jesus. I've given my life fully to Jesus, and I'm making it known by being baptized in front of my family. Um, it's special. And so get that in your calendar. Come celebrate with us. And if you want to be baptized or are interested in following Jesus and then following that up with baptism and you want to talk to me, please come talk to me. So anyway, know that. What's the date of this thing? He said 28th. And I was like, yeah, I know, me too. But you were, you were mocking me. <laughs> oh, um, all right, this thing is uh, our prayer and fasting guide. So I don't know if you know this, but the first Wednesday of the month, our church prays and fasts together. Um, and so this is the prayer and fasting guide if you wanna pray with us. So check this out. On Wednesday, all day long, we'll be praying and fasting together as a church. And this little document right here will help us all pray and fast kind of with the same heart, same mindset. So take that with you. All right. Throw them up. Throw them up. Who's got them today? Oh, yeah, this is sick. And if you're, not, if you're wondering what we're holding up, we got more. So what I'm holding up is a journal from the book of Luke. And if you don't have one and you want one at any point, there's on all these communion tables and all the corners of the room. Um, so make sure you grab one. But go ahead and grab your journal or your Bible. Turn to Luke. We just started a new teaching series last week called Walk With Me. Hey, if you don't have one and want one, can you just raise your hand? Because um, we'll, I'll just grab some. Hey, can you, can you help me just pass them out to whoever's? Eric, you can help. Yeah, yeah, just pass. If you see a hand raised, just, just give them out. Whether you come back to Ethos or not, whether you ever read the Gospel of Luke again or not, um, this is for you. Take this with you. Hopefully you read Luke again because of, that's what this journal is. Um, but anyway, we started a teaching series last week. The series is called Walk With Me. It's gonna be a nine-week series. We're in week two. And, and basically what we're doing is we're just following um, the disciples' journey with Jesus. And I'm still struggling to articulate what I'm really wanting to do in this series. I'm wanting to get real close to the disciples' perspective, what they would have observed in Jesus, seen in Jesus. Um, and the, the premise is I believe what the disciples experience with Jesus, although it will look different in some ways, we can have a very similar experience in the same way that the disciples were always in the presence of Jesus, learning from Jesus, being transformed by Jesus. I sense God being like, that's on the table for us. We get to walk in the presence of God. We get to be transformed by God right here, right now, whether we're in church or just going to work. Like God wants to be so intimately involved in our life. And so we're just gonna pay attention to the disciples for the next eight weeks. What are they seeing? What are they feeling? What are they hearing? And how can we learn from that and hopefully apply it to our daily life, okay? And so series is called Walk With Me. And if you're taking notes, which by giving you a journal with a huge space for note-taking every turn of the page, I hope you're taking notes. However you take notes, write this down. This week is going to be called Jesus is Different. All right? Jesus is different. 
that's kind of kind of be the takeaway from today. Um, so I love battle rap. Does anyone have any context for what I just said? Okay. All right. <sighs> I wish enough people knew what it was to appreciate the cringe that I could bring out giving you an example. But I don't think I have that audience, so I won't give you an example. But it would be funny um, in my head. So, gosh, I almost, I want to keep doing those little passive comments for like the next 30 minutes, but I'll stop. Um, anyway, battle rap, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like the hardest part of my teaching prep was what do I even say about it? You just rhyme at each other. It's one verse one, and you just, basic. I haven't seen Hamilton. Is that okay? <laughs> I should have watched Hamilton and used that as an example. But it's just like Hamilton. I've seen it. Um, anyway, but in battle rap, you come up with really clever metaphors, images, while conveying a point. And unfortunately, in battle rap, it's usually at your opponent's expense, but it's mesmerizing. These guys are some of the best writers. The creativity is insane. In fact, one of the most insulting questions, anytime I try to bring a friend in to help them share in my love for battle rap, they'll go, did they just think of that? Did he just make that up? I'm like, did you hear what he, no, he spent months putting that together. Never mind. We're never doing this again, right? But one of the things that happens in battle rap, uh, this used to happen. It's kind of outdated now. But when someone said something like really special, someone in the audience would just be like, that's different. Like that, what they just did is so different. And I want to impersonate it, but I won't because I'll sound, it's very vulnerable to try to impersonate you know, that reaction. But it's different. And it's a way of saying, I don't even know how to explain it, but in the land of many rappers saying a lot of the same things, he just found a style or an approach or a tone that accomplished something we just haven't quite seen before, and it stands out that is different, right? It's like when you see a movie, it's like I've seen a lot of movies in my day, and a lot of them have tried to accomplish what this movie's accomplishing, but this movie is different. And I'll figure out how to explain the nuances of why it's different, but right now I'm just blown away. I feel like I've never seen a movie quite like this, or I've never heard a song quite like this, or maybe you're at JCPenney and you see a dress and you're like, there's been a lot of dresses, but JCPenney, 4th of July sale, happy 4th, by the way, this dress, that's different, right? Like, yeah, I hope that connected. Um, I'm trying to reach a lot of demographics here. So anyway, that's different. And we're going to just read the story in Jesus in Luke chapter 5, where the disciples like day one are just going to start learning, oh, Jesus is not just another rabbi. Because the, the, the more, my mind's been getting blown thinking about the disciples' journey with Jesus. Because last week we talked about when they just said yes to following Jesus and why it made sense that they said yes. A rabbi who's been doing miracles has called out to them. And so for them, it's like, whoa, we thought we missed out on this part. And so they're following Jesus and it takes no time. I mean, we're still on day one, session one has already begun. Levi follows Jesus and he's gonna come, he's gonna throw a dinner for Jesus and he's immediately gonna learn, oh, Jesus is different. He's not like every other rabbi. And so we're gonna be in Luke 5 and we're gonna pick up right where we literally left off, uh, which is verse 33. It's right after, or no, actually, let's look at verse, let's start in verse 27, let's do that. So last week where we, where we left off, Levi has followed Jesus. He's a tax collector, 
There's some really beautiful things going on there that I'm not even gonna get into. A tax collector being invited to be a disciple. It's just gorgeous, a lot of good stuff going on. But this is so sweet because Levi is so excited about following Jesus that he throws Jesus a dinner. Like we gotta forget some of the details we've learned and relearn them. This is the sweetest deal. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've ever gotten such good news from someone that you're like, you wanna come over tonight? I'm gonna make you a dinner and invite all of my friends. <laughs> like that is such a sweet, what a guy, what a guy for doing that. And so he invites Jesus over and he throws this big dinner. And what type of dinners um, do tax collectors throw? the type of dinners where other tax collectors come and sinners. I don't even know why that's the only word Luke thought to, to include here, but he's like, okay, there's a dinner, a tax collector's throwing the dinner and there's a bunch of tax collectors. And then the other type of people um, are sinners. They're also <laughs> there. Um, and I don't know if the, the Pharisees got the invite to this dinner. Um, if Levi was like, oh, Jesus and the Pharisees, they'll probably get along. They kind of like love the Bible together and stuff. Uh, or if the Pharisees just like walked outside and could smell fun happening somewhere and were like, God, we got to go there and see what we can do about that. Like, <laughs> that it, like uh, this might be trouble, right? But somehow the Pharisees, they show up and they see that Jesus is at this freaking dinner with like sinners and stuff and like disciples or like and tax collectors. And it's in my head, what they see is a bunch of guys with leather jackets on like smoking cigarettes and like Jesus is wearing a suit and holding the Bible real awkwardly. And they're like, how could you be in this crowd of leather jackets and cigarettes? This is disgusting. Um, and so they find Jesus there and they're immediately unhappy that Jesus is spending time with these people. And I don't know if you've ever been at a party where a couple of people really try to make it known they're unhappy. Like you all might be vibing. This might be your favorite song. You might be enjoying drinks. I'm not happy right now. And everyone in the room's like, yeah, just ignore them. Like let them just sit in the corner. I don't know what's going on. It's a lot of drama over there. But that's kind of the vibe the Pharisees are giving off. They're like, this is gross. This is repulsive. And so they start mumbling in the corner. Now remember, Levi followed Jesus, throwing a dinner. Pharisees there, vibe killer. They start mumbling and they look at the disciples and they're like, hey, like what's up with Jesus? Why is he eating with these types of people? Okay, so I want you to imagine that kind of a setting, party, people talking, it's good vibes everywhere. Everyone's happy, weird, awkward thing happened in the corner. And then Jesus from the other side of the room begins to answer the qualm that the Pharisees have. So from across the room, he goes, hey, Hey, I hear you, A, I know your thoughts, made you in your mother's womb. Also, I can hear you whispering in the corner, a couple things, <laughs> just a couple things real quick. And just imagine, like, this is like, if you've seen those old Western movies when they're all in a saloon playing poker and drinking and there's that random person on the piano just playing some like ditty away. And then someone gets mad at the poker table and throws their chair and the room goes deadly, awkwardly silent. And the guy on the piano is like, hmm? What's, do you guys know the image I'm going for? Am I showing my age? Thank you. Hey, everyone my age or older, y'all get what I'm saying. Um, like John Wayne stuff. But uh, anyway, John Wayne is way beyond my age uh, for the record. But that awkward moment happens and Jesus says, hey, the reason they're here, the reason the tax collectors and sinners are here is because it's the sick who need a doctor, okay? I came that the unrighteous would be led to repentance, not the righteous. 
And what he's saying there sounds good on its face, but it's actually, it's kind of icy. Jesus is icing the Pharisees a little bit here. It could be like, you could read this this way. Hey, I came for those people that weren't so self-obsessed. They understood they needed a way. They needed a way to God. I came for the people that know they can't have it all together, not for those that think they can. That's what he's saying. So in the middle of this party, it gets icy. The Pharisees get called out from across the room by Jesus. And I, I wanna give that, I want us to feel the social dynamic in play, some of kind of the awkwardness as we get into this conversation. I think it's, it kind of adds color, helps us appreciate what's going on. All right, so after that moment, the icy moment has happened. Jesus has said this. We're gonna pick up there. Okay. Verse 33. Would someone read verses 33 through verse 39? Just read what happens next. The Pharisees are gonna ask a question. Come on. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. So the Pharisees have a question for Jesus. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have three points today. The first one is long. The, the second two, second and third point are way shorter. Um, the first one, if you're taking notes, Jesus desires flourishing over flexing. This is the most Instagram pastor type point I've ever made. I'm using the word flexing, and I want you to know that's vulnerable for me. Um, but he desires flourishing over flexing, all right? So I want to give some context to the conversation happening here. The Pharisees ask this question about fasting, um, all right? They say, hey, the Pharisees have disciples fasting. John the Baptist got people fasting. Why are your people not fasting? Um, and they probably ask that as soon as Levi has just a big bite of fish in his mouth, like fresh from the Sea of Galilee. And so they're like, hey, you guys seem to be eating a lot. The other holy people aren't eating a lot. So let me give some context, all right? So I won't, I won't dig super deep into the wineskins and some of the imagery at play here. It just takes too long. Um, but for those that don't know, fasting is simply giving up food, giving up that, that regular rhythm of eating food in order to give all of our attention and our prayer life to the Lord. So it's this, it's this act of going, I'm gonna give up something that is so integral to my life. It literally helps me live, but I'm gonna give that up for a time just to give God all of my attention. The point of fasting is to, to selflessly come before God, to bring all of our desires, our prejudices before the Lord and go, hey God, in the same way that I'm giving up food to listen to you, all this stuff in my life, you can have it. Whatever you wanna do with it, just have your way. And so it's this like holy act. In the Old Testament, there's only one version of fasting that is actually like required. It's called the Day of Atonement. It's one day long, and it's a 24-hour fast. But we have other examples of where fasting was done. And so we have Moses in the book of Exodus. Whenever he goes and he gets the Ten Commandments, he prays and he fasts for 40 days. When Jesus is baptized and the Father speaks from heaven, he goes to the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. But according to the law, only one fast was required. Now, what had happened was the Pharisees had fallen so in love with the law and tradition that over time, they began, they began to add 
new rules, new expectations, new fast, new regulations that you had to obey in order to be in, in with God, okay? So the, the whole wineskin thing, what Jesus is tapping into here, just to put it really simply, he's saying you have this affinity for tradition. You have this obsession with the law, something good, but over time, it has become toxic because of misplaced idolatry. Over time, something unhealthy has resulted and your obsession with things like fasting. And there's actually two stories after this, directly after that touch on Sabbath that I was gonna preach on today, but then I figured out I had like a 50 minute sermon. And so, yeah, we're not gonna do that. But he taps into Sabbath as well. But in all three stories, you see this theme. The Pharisees seem to have this tradition and it's preventing them from seeing the heart of God. It's messing them up. It's resulting in this really weird thing and it's making them judgmental and cold and obsessed with obedience. In short, the Pharisees had a flex problem, all right? And so this flex problem had sort of two different layers to it. There was two different ways that they were flexing and totally missing it. The first, they were flexing their appearance. Their obsession with the law had become to, had turned into self-obsession. What people think of me is what's most important. That really matters. That's the first. The second is it, it flexed this lifestyle that cultivated striving, trying really hard to make it all work. So that's two ways that this all had gone awry, had gone wrong. So let's start with the first one. First, they showed themselves off. The Pharisees desperately wanted attention. In the same way that when you buy that dress from JCPenney that had the 4th of July sale, or you buy a new pair of shoes, especially a white pair of shoes, you think really intentionally about when and how to wear that for the first time. If you don't, you're above me. Good job. When I get white shoes, these guys, the first three months, man, these guys never saw rain. They never saw grass. Um, they never saw a pair of pants touching them, always cuffed, gotta protect even the heel part, right? Like, does anyone else do that? When you buy something new, you go, at least for 30 days, these things are gonna stay looking new because I got people to show them to. Like, like, it's not really for me. I mean, I want other people to see them be like, oh, you get new shoes? And then I play it off cool. Like, oh, yeah, they're kind of new. That's whatever, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, I got new shoes. I bought the spray to protect them and everything. You know what I'm saying? In the same way that you might do this over an article of clothing, the Pharisees were legitimately doing this with their spiritual life. They really cared about what you saw them looking like. That really mattered. They always wanted their walk with God to look shiny, fresh, close, intimate. They were obsessed with you thinking they had it made, right? How do I know this? In Matthew chapter six, Jesus literally says it. He's giving instructions on how to pray and how to fast. Write that Matthew six down. That's actually, it's huge. Jesus writes, hey, when you pray, and it's weird, before he gets to when you pray, pray this way, he actually says when you pray, don't pray like this. And when you fast, don't fast like this. Literally, he says, hey, whenever you pray, don't pray on the corner and have a trumpet sound to announce that you're praying. And you're like, Jesus, in what world would I ever have a trumpet play to announce I'm praying? But that's what the Pharisees did. They would get everyone's attention and go, listen up, the man's praying right now. Like the guy is praying, listen to me. And he says, when you fast, don't disfigure your face 
Don't try to look tired. Don't try to show everyone how spiritual you're being. Or that's the only reward you're gonna get is people's attention. So literally, the Pharisees would go around as they were fasting and be like, hey man, I got a prayer request. Will you guys pray for me? I'm on day 23 of my fast. And let me tell you something, it's amazing. Like God and I are just like so locked in. Like we're so close, but it's so hard. Are you on day 60 of your fast? Oh, that's so good. Yeah, day 27, that is like different though. And every time you're around them, you feel like they're like flexing. Like, yeah, man, I just like chug some like salt just to make my fast harder. I'm just trying to like get closer to the heart of God. I stole that joke from Dave Clayton. I'm trying to get closer to the heart of God. You'll get it. You'll get there. Me, I'm just close. Like they loved showing off how close they were with God. And Jesus is like, man, that is not it. I am not comfortable with you doing things for your appearance. And I just wanna state this. For us, I think a lot of us saw this kind of approach growing up, at least I did, if you grew up in church. Sunday best was a real thing. It now feels like ancient, not non-existent. I mean, look at me. Clearly not my Sunday best today, right? But growing up, guys, I remember, J.C. Penney's getting a lot of shout outs. I remember J.C. Penney. I remember Peebles. I remember Dillard's. I remember going there the week before Easter and being like, and I got a big Sunday up. This is, this is a big day for me. I got to get a suit, like straight up. And uh, did y'all do Easter colors? The weird, what are those called? What genre is that? Pastels. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. And I remember being like, ooh, that like aqua collared shirt. Wow. I really want that blue. That's amazing. And, uh, but I remember being like, man, this is what Sundays are about. Like I want to show up like first place, Jesus is alive. Close second, Josh, nice suit. <laughs> right? Like that's like, I can only imagine. Did you just get that suit? Uh, but that was my thing. But I think that way of living, at least here, is kind of going away. Would we all agree? We're all kind of rolling our eyes. Like who, that is such a weird way to think, like that I would dress for church and impress people in that way. However, I do think like the root of that issue is still so prevalent today. Like if you think about our culture, now what I'm about to speak into, I'm not telling you to like, this isn't a personal attack. I'm just thinking in general. What is the premise of Instagram, if not to say, look at my life, look at me, right? Like, what is it? I mean, it's not hard to get on Instagram right now. Find this like six foot three dude who's shredded six pack, throwing football on the beach shirtless and the caption something like, man, God is so good. John three sixteen. for, and it's like, what <laughs> happened? <laughs> like, how did that lead to, I did, do you know the picture? There's no way you know. You meant to upload a picture of your Bible and instead it's you working out on the beach. This is super strange. But like the root of your lips praising God but your heart being self-obsessed still moves on. Like it's still here, it's still strong. You guys have been there, I've been there. You know what it's like to see, to go like, oh my gosh, vacation is way more stressful than I thought, but can you please stop yelling at me? Can we take a selfie and smile so I can tell people how much fun we're having on our honeymoon? Like can, you, can we just do this for one second? right? Like, can I just present this idea? My family's good. My friends are good. We're great. Oh, I love my kids. I'm definitely not too obsessed with my job. That's definitely not happening. <laughs> like, I'm way more about my children. Look at this picture. Like, I know, I'm not talking about anyone in this room, so don't get insecure, but I know close people that I love, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much brokenness, but on the Instagram, it's all like, look at me, everything's fine, and we're even finding sneaky ways to like humble brag in this way too 
there's also like this new way of flexing how broken you are. This is real touchy, so I'm gonna be very careful because there's some real good that comes with authenticity and vulnerability. Please hear me, vulnerability, authenticity, mwah, love those things. But I do think there's this air of, look, I'm not perfect. And the picture's somehow still pretty nice. Have you guys seen those? The pretty people that are like, here's an example of how imperfect life is. And it's like, you're flexing in talking about how not flex worthy your life is. Now that's tough to do, right? This is not beyond us. And it's also not beyond us to show up here and put on smiles and show up to the places that we know we need to show up just so everyone thinks we're fine. We're doing good. And Jesus immediately is gonna confront that and go, not here. I'm not gonna do that here. We're not gonna fast for the sake of fasting. The purpose of prayer and fasting is to be close to God. We will not charade that to make you think we're close to God. We're gonna do it to be close to God. And the whole wineskin thing, why would we fast if the bridegroom is still here? Jesus is going, why would they fast to be close to God when God is right here? I'm right here in their midst. There's no need. We will not do this whole, it's all about my appearance. He wants the flourishing. He wants these things to draw you closer to the actual living God so you don't have to play pretend ever again in your life. You get to actually just be close with God. So that's that first type, that appearance, that flexing via appearance. The second is that flexing via uh, hard work. You're working hard. You're proving that you can do it. It's the flexing that results in striving. It's the It's the man, you're doing so good. You got a long way to go, but good job. Just keep going and maybe one day you'll get where I'm at. Oh man, the the Pharisees would use this and go, that's a great fast you just did. Have you heard of this fast? Because it's even longer. You can eat even less. You can do even less. It's way more aggressive. It'll get you closer to God. Have you heard of this thing? And they would bring this like yoke and this weight of works and stress. I just thought about for a minute, what would it be like to be Jesus at this dinner, confronted with the Pharisees, going, hey, you guys are supposed to be doing more for the sake of doing more. Why are you guys not doing all these additional fasts that you guys know are not rules, but they kind of are rules? I just wonder what it would be like to be Jesus, to think back to when he created the world. All the power, the perfection, the design that he put into creation And then to enter into the world and see that the religious people, the ones that before Jesus showed up, were the ones people looked at to figure out what God was like, what he wanted. And they were using the scriptures to put this like striving tax on everyone. Like you have to do a whole lot. When Jesus is carrying this heart of John 3, 16, like just believe, that's all it takes And Jesus is so not into this narrative of striving that the Pharisees are trying to bring into this. He's so counter the narrative of you need to do more. And I don't know where you're at in your life, but as Levi had just followed Jesus, the rabbi, and is watching him have this conversation with the Pharisees, I don't know what he thought Jesus was gonna do. I imagine he thought there's a lot of work in front of me to try to become like Jesus. But immediately he figures out We will not do work for work's sake. We will not live a life of striving together. There is no ladder to climb. If you're in, you're in. And that's just kind of the end of it. And so I just, this kind of this question, hold on, I can't remember what the question was. I asked a question. Uh, Hold on, let me get back to my notes. I really went on a tangent, sorry. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to ask, 
you guys to examine your own hearts, like one with God, right? To question, God, is there any place where I don't feel like I'm keeping up and I'm out of breath because of it? Because in that place, you might have a false narrative. There might be a lie that isn't for you to live into. Is there any place where you go, what I really need is a Sabbath day to rest, but I have a thing that my small group invited me to and it's where I am, I'm just gonna show up. It's like, I'm just gonna earn my favor and go, man, that may be a false narrative. But secondly, I wanted to ask, are you the type of person that is giving off this narrative to the people around you? Like examine your marriage. Is your spouse only good enough when they've done their load of the dishes? Do they only get the best of you when they've also done laundry, when they've also mowed the lawn, when they've also ran the errands? Or do they just get the best of you when, you, when you've done enough, when, you've carried your, when they've carried their end of it? Or do your friends, do they only get the best of you when you're a really good listener? Or when, sorry, I'm getting it backwards. This metaphor's hurting me. All right. Do your friends only get the best of you, yes, when they are good listeners to you, when they have something to bring you, or in a city of connections, in a city of networking, do you only find yourself surrounded by people that can help you get along? Because that right there, that's a work of striving. And I just thought the Lord being like, hey, where do you do this with other people? Because I don't know about you, the busier my life gets, the more I'm only open to people that can help me out. And God was like, hey, that's a religion. That's striving. That is creating friendships with expectations. If you do these five things, we're good. Ooh, like, I could see down the road, us like pairing up, linking up. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's hang out, let's get dinner. It's like, no, like in any way, like with God, we don't do striving in our friendships, in our dating relationships, in our marriages. We do not give off this air of, if you do this, this, and this, you have earned proximity with me. And Jesus hears that, and he's not gonna peddle that narrative. You're never gonna feel like, oh, if I'll do this, this, and this, me and God are good. He refuses to get along with that narrative. He speaks completely against it. So prayer, fasting, Sabbath, all this stuff designed to be close with God. He will not let those things become about your appearance, or about you earning something. So that's number one. Jesus deeply desires relationship with you. He desires you to flourish with him, and he will not put up with you flexing your appearance or you flexing how hard you can work. It's much more genuine with Jesus in that. And so Levi immediately learning about the heart of God. Secondly, and these next two are going to be a little quicker, okay? Secondly, Jesus knows what's in your heart. He knows exactly what is going on in your heart. In this story, in the following stories, and throughout the gospel, something I notice is Jesus is so good at kind of sifting out the people dynamics at work and speaking accordingly. So you'll see this with the disciples. There's moments where with the disciples, he'll, he'll tell a parable. There's moments where where he will explain something really clearly. There's moments where he'll speak life and encouragement. And then there's other moments where he'll be really hard on them. He'll say things to Peter like, hey, get behind me, Satan. Or Peter, you're gonna fail. When you return, here's what you do. And he just changes in the moment. With the Pharisees, we'll see that he's often a little more pointed, a little more aggressive, a little more icy. And I was just reminded of how Jesus, he knows the heart and he knows how to speak to the heart for the moment the heart is in. So when the Pharisees are hard-hearted, they're judgmental, they're cold, sometimes they'll say something like in chapter six, there's this man with the withered hand and he looks at the man in need of healing and, then he, and Jesus looks at the Pharisees and goes, hey, is it better that this man leaves healed or unhealed, basically? 
Which one do you think it should be? And it's this really awkward moment where it's like, obviously, he's sitting here with a withered hand. Awkward moment, harsh moment. But then there's other moments in John chapter three where Nicodemus, a Pharisee, will walk up to Jesus and Jesus will just have this discourse. That's where we get John 3, 16. I go, Nicodemus, here's the truth of who I am. This sweet fireside chat. And I was just reminded, oh, no one is better at knowing when I need to be rebuked, when I need encouragement, when I need peace, when I need a hard word. No one knows the heart like Jesus does. And I just thought this for our church, man, as we go every day, a simple prayer, God, you know my heart and I am open to whatever you wanna speak. And just acknowledging, Lord, as, as we're like trying to live in the presence of God as we go from day to day, going, God, today, I am open to a harsh word if that's what I need. Does anyone remember being eight years old and your caretaker getting onto you in a way and you're just bawling your eyes out. You can't believe how wronged you've been. And then you finally like, and you like regather your tears and you calm back down. And then years later, you're like, man, I needed to get in so much trouble. I can't believe what I was up to. <laughs> like I deserved that, right? Like, like they saw your actions and went, if that continues through your adulthood, you will get bullied or you will bully someone else. That cannot happen. We're not doing that anymore. We know how helpful that is. Jesus knows our hearts. He needs full permission to speak into where our heart is cold, where our heart is hardened. So every day going, Jesus, you know, you know when you need to give me a heart, I'm open to that. You also know when you need to speak identity over my heart and you tell me to chill out and just breathe deeply and receive your love. Will you help me to be just as aware when I need you to speak life and encouragement over my soul as when you need to speak discipline and help me be better and rebuke me? Like, will you help me just to discern all of it? Because the truth is, you know my heart and you know what it needs. And so my only option, my only choice is to be open to what you have. So that's number two, Jesus knows the heart. And so for us as people of God, however we feel that day, just to be open to God, what does my heart need in this moment? Will you just speak to me? That's number two. And then lastly, Jesus is so unpredictable. In every moment, he's unpredictable. And I'm not even gonna dig into all the intricacies of this, but these fasting conversations that Jesus is having, the Sabbath conversations Jesus is having, when he calls himself Lord of the Sabbath in chapter six, he's saying so many things that would have thrown every listener off. They all would have been like, wait, say that again. Like, what do you mean by this? And if you ask Levi after day one of following Jesus, hey, Levi, will you just list a hundred words that best describe your experience with Jesus so far? I promise you not one of those words would be predictable. I can really tell what Jesus is gonna say next, right? The only thing that seems to be predictable about Jesus is he's gonna be compassionate, he's gonna be merciful, he's gonna forgive, basically like almost every time, right? Like we know he's good, we know he's sweet, he's sweet. But as the disciples follow along with Jesus, it feels like every day he's hitting them with something telling them something they already knew, but in a different way that makes them go, I knew that, but like I didn't know that in a weird way, right? And now I know it. And I was just reminded of, oh man, how easy it is. Now I'm moving around, get ready. Um, how easy it is to walk through life and you kind of just look up one day and go, you know what, for the past two years of my life, God has been oddly predictable. Now why is that? Like what about the way I'm going through life has made God predictable because that's not really God's thing. Like he doesn't really do that. 
Like, I don't know about you, but a lot of my moments with God, when he like changed my heart, when he really taught me something was when he caught me off guard, taught me something I kind of already knew in a new way. And so I just reminded us of a church as we think about walk with me, walk with Jesus, just a simple prayer, God, will you help us be aware of where you are doing the unexpected? Like if every day I have the same routine, I'm in the same Chipotle, Chipotle line at 11.30 every weekday, that's what I do. And I got my headphones in and my phone. Maybe it's just going, God, you know what? From now on, when I'm in that Chipotle line, I'm gonna put my phone up and I'm just gonna try to listen for a second. Because it's in those moments, you might be trying to do something unexpected. In that moment, you might have a word of encouragement for me. In that moment, you might want me to talk to someone in the line. God forbid you have to talk to a stranger. In that moment, you might have a scripture put on your heart. You might text a friend, but going, God, like it is not in your nature to be predictable for the rest of my life. So what does it look like for me to always be open to the new things you are doing? And so simply put this week, my like weekly thing for you is just like, God, what are you up to today? Will you help me to hear what you're on the move, where, where you're on the move? Will you show me where the unpredictable, the interruptions that you put in my day, they're gonna help me know you better. Will you help me to be aware of those moments? Whether it's in my quiet time, going to work, doing whatever, you're unpredictable. Help my heart to be receptive where you're breaking into the normalcy of my day and teaching me something. And so as we go to communion, simple question, as we reflect on these three things, right? Can, who, who can tell me what was the first thing we talked about? What does God desire? Flourishing, Flourishing over. Yeah, you have to say it. What's the second one? He knows, he knows our heart. What's the third one? He's unpredictable. Awesome. And so what I want to do over communion, I just want you to just reflect a little bit. What makes Jesus different to you? What makes him different? Like several of you here follow Jesus. And I just want you to take some time to go, why? Why is he so different? Why is he of all things so worth following? So over communion, over the bread, over the cup, just share with the three or four people you circle up your chairs with and just share, why is Jesus different to me? What is different about him? All right, and so I'm gonna pray over us. Um, take these words with you, reflect on them later and uh, we'll get communion. All right, so God, thank you. Thank you for today. Um, Lord, I just acknowledge that you want us to flourish with you. You want us to be real with you. God, we acknowledge that you know our hearts. You know how to speak to them. God, that you're unpredictable. Will you help us to be aware of your activity? I mean, God, I'm talking about like nine to five awareness. Like when we're at work, next thing to the next thing. Will you help us to be aware of where you're wanting to interrupt our day and speak to us and speak to those around us, Lord? Yeah, will you give us a real sensitivity to what you're up to in the same way that the disciples got to be so close to Jesus and just watch and learn? Will you help us to watch and learn from you? Yeah, in Jesus' name, amen.